This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porncast that recommends you stop eating apples if your doctor's cute. I'm your host, Alice Vaughn, and with me, I have my gorgeous co-host, as always, Kate Kennedy. Kate, how are you doing today? Hanging in there, you know, sweating up a storm, just real nice and sticky over here in LA. It's been uh, unseasonably humid the last couple of weeks, which is just awesome for me. Because I haven't had like several important shows and meetings, and I personally love meeting my heroes on a humid day. The extra stickiness, you know, brings something to the table. You know, when my hair is just like very Keith Richards at Altamont, like I just think it adds so much to my overall vibe. I have to say, I'm kind of excited that I've escaped most of the humidity this summer. Like I spent part of the summer so far in Denver. I've spent it in your Ray, Colorado, which, you know, being in the mountains at a high altitude, it's dry heat, which I am not used to as a New Yorker. Salt Lake City and next Vegas, which I'm excited about. We're going to be evaluating it as a potential place maybe I'll live. It's in the top list, right? It's in your, your top like three or five. Look, all I'm saying is it has some high-rises, it has events, it's a destination, fantastic food. I have some friends already there, as well as it's not too far from my L.A. peers. There's actually also really good outdoor stuff in Vegas, too. Like, people, I think, don't know that, but there's totally, like, hiking and rock climbing and stuff nearby. And, yeah, it's super close to L.A. and kind of the whole West Coast, so it's a good place to be based. I am dying to eventually go to Antelope Canyon, but probably not in like August. Yeah. Will, you're shaking your head. I wouldn't do it in August. Hard pass. It's like 120 degrees. (laughs) Okay, yeah. You've convinced me. Any other perks of Vegas I haven't taken into consideration yet? There's not terrible traffic, right, Will? Like, especially compared to LA. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, not bad traffic. You know, it's easy. I think it's a good mix of like suburb, but still like kind of big city amenities. Well, any other advantages of living in Vegas I should know about? Well, to be honest, I've been here a month and I've worked 26 out of the 31 days in LA this month. So I've really only been home a handful of days. So I'm still learning the area. All right. So clearly experts here all on this podcast. Oh, there's good like nightlife too. I mean, that's really fun if you're into like going to shows or seeing because like everyone plays Vegas, like comedians, musicians, like bands. And a lot of times too, you can get really good deals on like entertainment and stuff in Vegas that you maybe couldn't necessarily get in like LA. I don't know. I just got a big house. like And a big house. <laughs> what I was paying in rent in LA, we got a freaking mansion in Vegas, so... I was looking at the prices and I mean, look, to be completely frank, I was paying an arm and a leg already. I was paying easily a couple people's mortgages when I was living for a one bedroom in New York City. And I here's a kicker. I wanted to have a two bed, two bath in New York, but to get a two bed, two bath in New York, and I do not exaggerate when I say this, you need to shell out anywhere between five to $8,000. Easy. A month. Nope. I pay more on my one-bedroom apartment in Hollywood than my parents paid on their 4,000-square-foot house mortgage when they had a mortgage when I was growing up. Like, significantly more. Like, several hundred dollars more a month, which is crazy. And I know that within under budget, I can get a two-bed, two-bath in Vegas. Oh, spring for the three-bed. You can get a three-bed, three-bath for under budget. That way, there's a guest room for me to come visit and an office. Duh. We haven't introduced our guest yet, so 
on the show, we have Will Pounder. Will, I guess so far we've uh, the best way to describe you is uh, you are 2020's AVN's best newcomer of the year, and that is not a pun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of wish it was. <laughs> I kind of also wish it was a little bit literal, in which oh my god, he came in a cold, totally different way no one has seen before. He has nothing on Peter North. <laughs> Revolutionary jizzing. But yes, Will is a very, very talented male performer whose career has like taken off like a rocket since I met him a few years ago. I mean, <laughs> I think I met you. Had you just moved to L.A.? Because I remember I met you at my very first house that I ever lived in. I think I'd lived there mm-hmm. for like a few weeks when you came over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very beginning. Yeah. We kind of almost started at the same time in like 2018, right? Mm-hmm. which is so fun. And I remember, yeah, meeting you and then you just like, psh, and we also got to work together. We worked together a couple of times, a couple of times, right? I was going to say yeah. at least twice. Yeah. Yeah. Always a pleasure to have on set. Great performer, wonderful energy, just like super fun. Well, thank you. The epitome of like the good porn guy. I'm just going to like <laughs> fluff your ego this whole time. I don't like do, I don't do the fluffing anymore, but I'll still fluff the ego. Oh, <laughs> so well, a hundred percent. I did do some light stalking. You have a little bit of a different background than most performers I've met so far. Okay. So first off, you were a Marine before mm-hmm. and you got into porn on a bed. Yep. Pretty much. How'd that happen? So in a nutshell, I was in the Marine Corps. I started the jiu-jitsu program there. I was one of the top guys at the time in jiu-jitsu. Ran the all-marine team, all that kind of stuff. Got out of the Marine Corps to go pursue martial arts. Broke my back in the military. Couldn't walk for two years. <gasps> Instead of getting a, my back fused, um, my friend's a body worker. So I was a research subject for Theta Healing, and she studied that practice. And so we kind of became friends that way. Wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. What's Theta Healing and how did you break your back? That is a horrific injury. So at MCT, it's the the final hike. My battle buddy or my my friend that we kind of like leaned on each other to get through everything. He uh, sprained his ankle five minutes into the hike. And so I carried him the 13 miles so he could graduate. And that's how I broke it, apparently. At least that's what the surgeon said the timeline was is when it got fractured. Because I didn't know it was broken until uh, I got out of the Marine Corps. Are you serious? So wait, for how long do you think you had a broken back for? Was that just a handful of months or a few years? Years, about five years. <gasps> it was a L5, and the surgeon said the bone is too dense to actually heal, so they wanted to fuse it, and she told me that was a bad idea not to do it, so she just did um, body work and started realigning fascia and tissue and stuff, and two years and a lot of pain later, I started walking again, so... Well, I'm glad you can walk again. <laughs> I'm like, is this a porn origin story or is this like a heartwarming Facebook video I'm watching about a veteran? <laughs> no, that's that's uh, so that's what happened out of the military because I was going to go pursue martial arts for a living. And then during that time, I reverse engineered a video game and became a change management specialist. <laughs> kind of a crazy story. You're already my new favorite person. <laughs> I reverse engineered a video game. I'm into jujitsu. I was a Marine. If I look, if I was not engaged. <laughs> also, wait, can you tell her this? Is this like public news? Yeah, this is public news. Oh, yeah. Also, if he wasn't engaged, because Will is also engaged. <gasps> yeah. Yes. As Yay! Yeah. So if we both weren't engaged <laughs> and somehow on Bumble, <laughs> or if you guys all become swingers, that could work too. Giggity. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. How did you get into porn now? So might as well go sequentially on this because we'll probably double back later anyways. 
So ended up moving out to San Diego. I got a job as an inspector for uh, the college campus. And so I built their QA program because they didn't have one. And then I wanted to become a project manager because that's what I went to school for. So then I found a whole bunch of problems and gave them to the assistant director with my resume at the bottom of it. And so he went through all of them and then hired me to be a, a new project manager to fix them. It kind of worked out. <laughs> then I fell into acting because on the campus, people would tell me I looked like Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling had a baby and took steroids. I'm not saying I took steroids. I just, you know, I used to fight for a living and I'm rather, rather big. <laughs> so ended up in uh, two films. I was a host of a sexaholic anonymous class for a political comedy that did really well and did an action film. In the action film, I had to fight eight guys, and they had a warehouse for an hour, and nobody knew martial arts. So I asked the director if I could choreograph it, and then he's like, yeah, well, we have to be out of here in an hour, hard, hard out. And I was like, okay. So I went up to everyone, and I was like, who here knows how to fight? Nobody raised their hand. I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You guys are going to fight me for real. Just pull your punches, and don't Hollywood anything, and we'll get this done. So we start 30 seconds into it. I pretend to hit a guy. He Hollywoods. He off-centers his gravity. Didn't know where it was going. He ended up eating a knee to the face. So I called cut, and I told everybody, I was like, all right, I need you guys to fight me for real. None of you guys know what you're doing, and you'll know when you're knocked out, but don't Hollywood it, because if you Hollywood it, I can't predict where you're going to go, and then I can't ensure your safety. And so we went, and we shot the whole thing straight through, and the director was like, what the fuck did I just see? He was like, this is unreal. And so <laughs> I started Maybe getting, the fact that it was real was throwing him off? Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of how it went down. And so then it, that snowballed. And I started making more money doing side acting gigs than I was as a project manager for UCSD. <laughs> and so I said, if I can maintain this for three months, then I will dedicate a year to pursuing acting in mainstream. I maintained that for three months, and I got asked to audition for a military TV show. I was cutting weight because I was going to do a fitness competition that ended up getting derailed into underwear modeling, and <laughs> and I was very uh, hangry and hungry and hangry at the and my computer wasn't working, and so I had to do this video audition, and I didn't know what a slate was, so I couldn't get my computer to work, and then I'm like fuck is a slate and i was like it's my name could you just said my name so when we started i was like my name's will motherfucking and i just <laughs> so i'm gonna reach this stupid ass script and i read it verbatim monotone sent it to him i didn't even want to do it i was just i was over it and they said when the director and casting director were watching it when i said my name is will motherfucking they paused it and said that's the guy so that's how i got on it so two weeks later i ended up on this tv show and i was like okay great and then there was a adult film star that came onto the show, and she wanted to shoot content with me. And I said, "No, it's gonna mess up, mess with my career." You know, kind of pop my. I'm, a, I'm an actor now, you know. So she said, "Let's make a bet on it." I was like, "Okay, well, I'm supposed to go do a commercial uh, for a resort, and then fly back to play Captain America Comic Con, and this production had to shoot around it. So if that cancels, I got nothing else better to do. Why not? No shit." The next day, 9 a.m. sharp, my agent calls me and he's like, I got some bad news. Turns out both the gigs canceled. So I was like, well, I threw it out there in the universe and it came back. And I was like, I guess it's just meant that I'm supposed to be a porn star. So <laughs> went out, shot a, shot a content scene, did well. She thought it was great. Took me to get an agent and got my agent. And 
kind of off to the races at that point. Well, congratulations. You're doing well. Yeah. Well, thank you. I know there's some people where it's like the universe has just like blessed you. Like not only have you like worked hard, but then it's just like when you, and I think also too, it's easy when you like look back on things where you're like, oh, it makes so much like narrative sense. Like my past now it's like, oh, this thing that led to this thing that led to this thing. And you forget that when you're in it, it's like such a crazy ride because you don't know where it's all going. And then Mm -hmm. you look back and you're like, oh, like everything really does happen for a reason. (laughs) It's definitely interesting, quite peculiar. And so, yeah, you kind of came out, you were in LA like working. And I remember I first met you in, yeah, the summer of like 2018. And then you were just Mm -hmm. like around like all of the time and you were working a lot. And like, it's hard for new guys, especially in the industry when you first start those first scenes. And I remember you, I don't think you ever kind of like faltered. You started going and we're just like very, I remember even from like within the first six months, people were like, oh, that Will Pounder. He's so reliable. He's so like easy to have around. Like he's not an asshole and he comes when he, we sit, tell him to. Like, I do. I, I can't yeah. control that. Show up to set or comes when you both, tell him both. to. He is both punctual and penis punctual. It's the Marine thing. I always show up like 15 minutes early and I can't, I can't help it. You know, it's just like, I see the time that I got to be there. And for whatever reason, I always end up there 15 minutes early. Which is like the (laughs) biggest thing that you can do, like to be successful in porn first. I mean, other than like your genitals working, but like just literally showing up on time. I say that all of the time. If you have like the most like minor crumb of like competency, (laughs) Where you're like, oh, I can show up nice and like on time and not be an asshole. People love you. Well, they also found out I can chain pop multiple times. So I can shoot multiple scenes back to back. By chain pop, you mean coming multiple times in a scene? Yes. (gasps) In a scene or doing multiple scenes. Okay, so maybe you do have something on Peter North. (laughs) I don't know. Which, yeah, I mean, that's like incredibly rare. That's like the like golden goose of male porn stars. I'll tell you a funny story. Because <laughs> this just happened. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you the whole thing. It was with uh, Maitland Ward for Deeper. So there was 14 extras that were all all industry that was watching us. There was four dudes and then Maitland Ward. It was, it was a gangbang. It was my first gangbang, really. I've, I haven't really done a gangbang before then. So <laughs> And so we get there and it's like all the dudes, like we're all friends. So I was like, oh, okay. We're just like kind of out hanging out and shit. And I turned into the local comedian the whole day because it's like black dude, half black, half white dude, oversized, don't know what he is, but has a baby arm for a schlong. And then there's me, you know, like I'm, I'm pulling it on, but like, I'm not like this, you know, I'm, I'm more like, like this, you know, like, <laughs> <and> so... <laughs> So I'm just cracking jokes the whole time because, you know, I get funny when I'm a little bit, like, nervous. And so then uh, we get in there and we're, we're doing the pictures and we're doing all that. And so then I get down there and I get into the spoon position. And then I make the mistake. And this was a bad mistake. I looked up. <laughs> and all I saw was big black baby arms <laughs> around. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so so I, I go from this and he starts going like this <laughs> and the camera guys the the camp the, the photographer is like are, are you okay do, do we need to swap you out and i was like just give me 10 seconds i fucked up and he's like oh shit what happened i was like it's like i looked up and everybody started laughing <laughs> i was like i'm sorry it's a little intimidating <laughs> oh man oh yeah 
That was something else. Is there a tip you would give someone if they've never been in a gangbang? I feel like, especially as a guy, if it's like one specific woman and multiple dudes, like there needs to be some sort of rule of thumb or I don't know, like, are you guys playing cards when you're bored? Like, what are you doing? You mean like in the scene? What are we doing? Like in between? Jerking off. Yeah. Jerking it. Oh, and also how many people were participating in a gangbang? Are we talking about like five or sixteen? It was four people in, in the gangbang, and then there was fourteen people watching us. Ah. In the scene. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I will say I love doing gangbangs because it's just like a big group of dudes. And a lot of times, like Cause like, well, you do a lot more like kind of feature driven, like acting mm. stuff. Cause you have that background. So a lot of times like the gangbang guys are like almost like a team. They're like, it's like choreographed. They're like in the Olympic like relay. So they work together all of the time. Like I know like kink.com does a ton of gangbangs where they have literally exactly the same five dudes mm-hmm. because they work really well together and they all know how to switch it out. And like, you're just, I mean, I loved it. Cause I'm like, you're surrounded by all these like sweaty naked dudes. And I would just like run and like jump on them and have them like catch me and be like, this is so fun guys. Like, this is awesome. Like, it was just like, really, I, I love gangbangs Cause I just thought they're so silly. And I love getting to like hang out with everybody behind the scenes. They get tired. Tag me, tag me out, tag me out. <laughs> Back when I did blow bangs, it was like that. It was always like the same three guys, same four guys. It was just a routine. Like when we get there, it was just, Run the routine. Were you in my blow bang? I feel like you were in my blow bang. In your blow bang, yeah. Yeah, for new sensations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was so awkward. There was one of the guys that was there had like a scratch on his dick. Yeah. But it was just like really sus looking. It kind of looked like a yeast infection or something. And I had to like pull the director aside and be like, hey, like, I don't know what's going on. And I don't want to. And he was like a young kid too. He was like 19. I, and he I was like exactly by far the is. youngest person there. And he's a really sweet kid. I'd like worked with him in the past. And so I was like, I really don't want to offend this person because I genuinely like them like as a human being, but also I'm not putting that in my mouth. Like, because I don't want to get thrushed. Like if it is. And so I remember having to like put, and it was just like really awkward. But I mean, it went fine after that. I felt bad. And then he like messaged me multiple times later. was like, I went to the doctor's just scratch. It was just a scrape. It's just scrape. I was like, okay, like that's cool, dude. Like, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I trust your doctor. Like, I, I don't really care. Like, this is a week later. Like, I, oh man, that was a funny one. Oh, that was the scene where I said glaze, uh, glaze me like a motherfucking donut when they yeah, came on that's my right. face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the donut reference. I mean, was it so wrong? You were filming in a Krispy Kreme. I wish we were. That would have been more fun. I mean, there's so many Krispy Kremes going under. I'm pretty confident you could get one as like a set at this point. I just want someone to like run me through that machine that like pours the water, the glaze waterfall. And this is not even a jizz reference. I just think it would be fun if they like ran me through that and then maybe like a bunch of dudes or girls licked it off. That would be very fun for me. All right. So I have a serious question though. What is the difference between a gangbang and a blowbang? I assume, and this is a pure assumption, that a blowbang, there is no penetration. Am I wrong? You're correct. You're correct. <gasps> it's just blowjobs. Oh. Did not know that. Yeah. Which is pretty fun, honestly, because like you really, I feel like as the girl at least. Oh, yeah, because you played my husband during the, the blowbang. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you were my husband and it was like a fantasy and you'd like set it up for me. I remember this now. But yeah, no, it's kind of fun because you get to sort of like run the show a little bit as the girl. Like I think more so than in a gangbang because in a gangbang, they're really like manhandling you and you're like 
throwing you around and stuff. Whereas in a blow bang, you kind of can reach for whatever penis you want next. And it's sort of just like a mad grab, like whack-a-mole situation. So Kate, from your perspective, is a blow bang more or less work? Oh, it's way more work from my perspective. Oh, yeah. For the dudes, I don't know. It's more work on everybody. Yeah. All right. So th- that helps put things into perspective because now when I watch the awards being given out for blow bangs versus gang bangs. Well, and also it's like you want to fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. at least for me, I'm like, can you guys like fuck? Like, I would like to fuck you. <laughs> like, this is a little bit like, I mean, I love sucking dick. It's fun. But like, if you're only there to suck dick all day, you're like, could someone like touch my pussy? <laughs> Just like touch it. (laughs) Plus my jaw. I remember my jaw after that. Because I think that's the only blow bang I ever did. And I remember my jaw just like locking up afterwards. Like I think I had like soup that night because I couldn't even like chew. I was like. Ladies of TMJ or men with TMJ, please do not apply. (laughs) Bad idea. Hold off on it. I always got nervous during gangbangs too because I have, I mean, any kind of like rough blowjob scene, I would get nervous because I have veneers. And so anytime you see me like rough sucking dick in any movie, like just know that like five minutes before that happened, I warned the guy and was like, please don't knock my teeth out. Like, please just be careful. I'm mostly just worried about molars. Yeah. yeah, I swear I would tell someone, I was like, it don't fit in your mouth. (laughs) <laughs> don't try. Spit on it. Jerk it. Lick the tip. Don't put it in your And I swear the first thing they do yeah. is when they say action, try to shove it all the way down their throat. Yep. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times that's happened. Yep. They're enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a male performer telling me one time that he'd worked with a girl whose teeth kind of bent backwards in her mouth like that. And he's like, every time my dick would come out, it was just like... <sighs> Like scratching, he's like, it was fucking terrible. He's like, I'm in so much pain right now. I was like, I'm so so sorry. Oh, speaking of teeth, I remember you told me that story about someone that bit you with their teeth. Hold <laughs> yeah. up, I ended up telling Twitter that story because that dude was like going off on Twitter and like he had said something like it was like something very disrespectful about female performers. He like commented, he's like, you like bounced on this content scene. Like you didn't want to like participate. And I was like, dude, I pretended to get a phone call from my sister who, by the way, never calls me. She calls me like twice a year. Maybe she did not call me. I was like, oh my God, my sister's calling me. It's an emergency because he bit my fucking clit. Yeah. Like first thing, like we get there to shoot the scene and I'm like, nice enough guy, whatever. Right. And I'm just like, all right. He's in the whole time, which is like number one red flag whole time. He's like fucking love eating pussy. I'm so good at eating pussy. Like, fuck yeah, I want to, let me bury my face in your pussy. Which anytime a dude says that, he sucks at eating pussy. It's cool to like eating pussy, but you don't need to like broadcast it. It's an art. Like you can just say, I enjoy it. And then I'm like, okay, you're good. But if you go overboard, I'm like, you are compensating for something. And it's your lack of cunnilingus skills. (laughs) And yeah, first thing gets down there and just like right on my, and I kind of like pulled his hair back. I was like, oh, <laughs> like I'm sure it like looked okay, but I was like, oh my god! And then like I think I let him go for like 20 more minutes, and I was just like, I need to leave right now. The stories that have come from this dude are like, oh, it's just I so can't, cringe. It's just so cringe. I mean, I say this to people all of the time. Like, there really are two kinds of people in porn, and I think in Hollywood in general, just in entertainment, because you have to be like either really confident that you're good at this or really delusional that you're good at this. 
<laughs> and there's people, I think, like me and Will, that are good at this. Like, if I'm not tooting our own horns too much, that, you know, have that work ethic and we're, we're, you know, we know what we're doing. And then there's people that just, I mean, like, how the fuck do you walk out of your house every day and not have a piano fall in your head? I know. Like, what a truly ridiculous person. I, I mean, the lack, I am obsessed with people that lack self-awareness because I'm so painfully self-aware and self-conscious. I'll just leave it as... That's not the worst story that I've heard coming no. from him. No, not even close. Wait, not. what's the worst story you've heard? Ooh. Well, this is about this specific person. Yeah. Okay, Will, I need to hear your worst story, period. My worst? Yeah. In what facet? You got to be more specific. In what area? Like worst porn story. Not like war crimes in Fallujah. Like different kind of oh. terrible. <laughs> yeah. so, so we won't dial back all the way yeah, that Dial back on that one. <laughs> I'm so, like, geez, this is going to get morbid real quick. <laughs> I was like, Alex, what do you know what you're asking right now? <laughs> While we were drone striking a school of elementary school children, uh, I pre came. <laughs> why, why would you do that? Oh, you want to hear some shit, Kate? Yes. What? Always. Okay. All right. So, you know, like when I was in the Marines, I was a hand to hand combat instructor. I taught weapons disarmament, you know, hand to hand combat, uh, went professional in jujitsu in 10 and a half months. You know, it's just like all about martial arts and shit. Yeah. Do you know who uh, Derek Pierce is? Yes. Yeah. He and I are good friends. So he always jokes on me. He's like, he's like, you're the most least unassuming badass I've ever met. Because he's like, he's bald and he's like super yoked yeah. and he looks like, looks like he'll like spin kick your head off. And <laughs> <laughs> and then there's me. You know, I was just I got some yeah. muscle, but not like you know I'm not very badass looking. We're all at uh, Billy's party, and some dude almost picked a fight with me. He actually jumped in and like kind of calmed him down to get him yeah. out of the way. And I was like, he's like, oh no, he probably was just trying to pick the weakest looking one. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> Last night, like I shoot one to three scenes a day every single day, so they yeah. kind of all my days just blend together. Oh my god! But uh. So I got off early and, and we wanted a we went out on like a like a double date, kind of trying to be like normal people, yeah. you know. And so we get out there and the girls end up leaving to go get drinks. It's and it's just the guys and these dudes that were the next lane to us at the bowling alley. They like wanted to pick a fight, or, or one of them did. And so he gets up in front of me. He's like, and and he's got he's like right right next to me. He's got like the bowling ball. And it's like touching my chest. And he's like, do you want to step up? Do you want to step up? I was like. I was like, you don't, you really don't want to do this. Like, just go over there and, and everything's just fine. And then he dropped the bowling ball. And the second I saw it go out and up, like, you know, now, now, I, got, now I have to act because that bowling ball is going to be coming flying at me. So, so I pushed him. But I didn't realize that I was, like, really strong. And he, like, <laughs> he took flight. <laughs> I had to instep on him, like, you know, because I was prepared to, like, double leg take him down or whatever control the situation and and so i just ended up pushing him and so his feet left he hit the ground he slid all the way back he hit the the table where you put in your names and then he slid around that flipped over and stopped on the carpet and his face was like oh shit <laughs> then the other dude runs up he's like all right let's get you out of here <laughs> I don't even know why. I mean, if I, if I was a dude, even if I was a really jacked dude and I saw you and Eric together, like last people I would pick a fight with, like 
both of you, like you do have a, a baby face. You've you have a cute face, but like still, I mean, like it's pretty obvious that you're like fucking ripped. Like, and also Derek looks terrifying. Like he's a huge teddy bear, but he looks terrifying. Derek looks like he can easily murder a few people. I know, or has. <laughs> <laughs> He looks like a nice enough dude, but he looks like, you know what, I uh, I probably should not mess with him yeah. ever in my life. He's very athletic, and he's a very good striker. Yeah, he is a super fun person. I, I teased him one time because I was like over at his house, and his house is... <laughs> we shot at his house. It's, he's going to kill me. I hope he doesn't listen to this because you know, I'm mad about it. But like his house is fully decorated, and those like live, laugh, love signs you get at TJ Maxx. <laughs> Like, I really Shut wish up. I was kidding. Shut up! They're, I mean, they're everywhere. There's, like, distressed wood signs that are like, succeed, seize the day. You got this. And I was We like, shot at his house. Yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I was just, like, I, like, walked in and I was, like, and then he has, like, multiple, like, specialty, like, displays for all of his Jordans. Yep. And I like sit in there. I was like, "Do you have like Pinterest Premium? Like, is this your entire?" <laughs> He's like, "I don't know why you make fun of that, Kate. I don't know why you feel the need to just circle people all the time." <laughs> and I'm just like laughing. Like we're like having sex, and I'm just killing myself laughing. <laughs> but yeah, no, truly like a lovely, lovely person. Um, hilarious taste in home decor. Oh, he's awesome. I love Derek. Yeah. If you have no idea what Derek Pierce looks like, aside from a simple Google search, uh, just imagine if you wanted to fuck Mr. Clean with tattoos. That's it. Yes. He was in the scene I got nominated for for best virtual reality sex scene, and he was supposed to be playing Archie from Archie Comics. But, I mean, it's VR, so you can't really see his face. But we did have to address it that he had all of these tattoos because, like, obviously Archie from Archie Comics, not really a tatted up motherfucker. And so, like, I remember, like, pulling his pants down and having to say, like, oh, my God, Archie, I didn't know you were such a bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) Hold up. I want to talk about VR for a sec because I, okay, on some random interview, they dubbed you, Will, like, the king of VR scenes. Uh So, first off, are they bullshit and how hard are they, actually? I don't think they're that hard personally, but I've got really good control over my body, so it's not not hard. I would say they're less satisfying like sexually than a lot of like porn scenes. Cause if you're it's on work. a set yeah, where if you're on a set where they're just like fuck in this position, but you know, and even if you're opening up, like you can still it's still is gonna like feel pretty good if you like work well with the person. Whereas like VR, it's like so dependent on like that position has to be so particular. Yeah. And like it the has guys to be are straight, straight on. Back. You can't move. Yeah, you can't. The guys can't move at all. They can't say anything, which is hard as like a female performer. Because I you, did one. I did one where I could talk. It was so weird. I was Shut so because I was shooting one to two VR scenes a day every day before COVID. Before I just killed it, so I could start doing other things. But yeah, I won a best VR sex scene. Nice. Congrats. Congrats. Wait, did you? Was that in twenty twenty or twenty nineteen? 2020. Okay. I, I was nominated in 2019, so it's cool you didn't beat me. That's fine. Um, I just wanted to check. We weren't in the same category. It's okay. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I'd be a little salty. No, I'm all right. But yeah, I mean, the guys are like, they use like a walker, even like a medical walker, where the guys will like lean back and have their like torso. They bring that out for me. I don't like that thing. I, I can't stand it. Some guys like it. Some don't. Hold up. Hold up. Describe this for me. Okay. I mean, I'll show you. Wait, you have one? Well, no, I'll show you on my chair because it's the same basic principle. Okay. So you got to arch like super hard. 
with your hands like on the arm of the chair, like I'm kind of doing like, right now. Yeah, you got to oh. arch like super far back because the camera, the VR camera has got to be where my head is. So that's why you're like super arch back. The way I describe those cameras, it looks like the thing at the eye doctor that they bring down in front of you where they're like this one, that one, or the other one. You know, like the viewfinder when you're doing an eye exam, that's what the camera looks like. And it's right in front of the guy's head. I'm kind of surprised that they're not strapping like a GoPro to your forehead. It'll move too much. It has to be stationary. Yeah. Oh, that would make sense. And it's multiple cameras that are in there to get the full mm -hmm. angle. And so then there's a dot in the middle of the camera. There's like a little red dot. And as the girl, you have to be looking at that dot. Like that's the eye line. So you're not actually, you don't actually get to look at your partner at all, which is really hard. And they can't really talk to you. And then there's times where there's like uh, microphones on the sides of the camera. And as the girl, they want you to like lean in and whisper into it, which mm -hmm. is the weirdest thing. Cause you lean up and you're like, yeah, baby, does that feel good? Does that feel good, baby? But it has to be like a whisper. Like you're whispering in someone's ear. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I love it. Cause I truly think it's just such a ridiculous way to have sex. And it is so like athletic and kind of strange. And I mean, I kind of got into porn for the ridiculous sex more so than like the just straight up hot sex because I like insanity. So, I mean, I always really liked doing VR. I had a lot of fun doing it, but yeah, I understand. It's a lot of work for everyone. And also as the girl, because you have to get the guy's pants off, right? But he can't oh, help you. Oh, that's so hard. He can't put his hands in. So you Wait. have to- I have VR pants that are like four sizes too big so Same. that when you undo that belt- they just fall off. Fall off. Because you have to like get your hands kind of under his butt and then grab him and like pull him off in like one motion. But the dude's kind of big. So you have to like, it's, I practiced so many times. Each company does it different. So yeah. some companies you can use your hands. Some companies, no hands, unless the girl gives you a command, like grab my tits. And then you have to, it's like her voice is the word of God. You know, if she says something, you have to do it. It's unfortunate when she says something, but you physically are unable to do that because you're propping yourself up and she keeps asking for things that you can't do. Yeah, that's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> I truly think if they could replace male porn stars with robots for VR, they would just because it would be easier for us. Because you're basically just a torso with a dick. Yep. That's all they want. So it's like you really, yeah, if they could, I think it would be easier forever. And I remember like I would finish or I would, like, we would cut or whatever. And I would literally like go to like suck the guy's dick or whatever and be like, I'm sorry, this doesn't feel good for you. Like I want to make you feel good too. <laughs> like, this is like, and just try to create like any amount of chemistry because it does feel like you're fucking a mannequin. Wow. Yeah. You haven't done VR with me. I never, I don't, I never did VR with you. But it does. Well, just because they can't interact. So you can't have that like in-scene chemistry where yeah. like there's really that between you guys. Well, I am right now picturing not only just tearaway pants. I'm picturing. So do you remember like the early 2000s, 90s pants where the long pants turned oh, into like cargo that's shorts so awesome. and shorts? Oh, I think we need idea. to bring those back. I, I'm with you. I'm right. I'm with you on that one. Jenko jeans. I'm actually so I. Just recently decided to go back and do some VR scenes, so I limited them to five a month, and uh, I got my I got one of my first ones tomorrow. <laughs> and we're just psyching you up for it. We're like, oh, this oh, yeah. is so hard. This sucks. Have fun. Oh, I, lo I love. It. I think it's fun. It's. Yeah. I think it's easy. Yeah, they are. They're really fun. I I always liked doing them just because yeah, they're kind of silly and fun. I like the the regular scenes better though because I like acting. I like improv. I'm really good at improv. Yes. 
I say this all of the time is that porn is like 80% improv mm -hmm. as far as the acting goes. So like if you're good at improv, like you'll be good at it. And if you're good at porn, you'll probably be good at improv. Mm -hmm. Like I started taking classes at Second City for improv. And like within the second week, I was like, wait a second. I was like, I do this every day at work. Can yeah. I move to 201? Like I don't need to be in this class. So the first time I ever actually saw VR porn, I remember, and I say saw because I needed VR goggles to do this properly. I remember I was at the AEEs and I was with actually a couple guy friends and I'll never forget. It was, I think, my first time. We all put on the goggles, but I didn't realize at the time that VR porn is predominantly for men. Mm -hmm. yeah. So... All of them have a different scenario in which they have, they're in a VR situation. I have the goggles on. I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, I'm clearly outside on someone's pool deck. I look down. I have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not much on the other yeah. side. <laughs> I've actually talked to some like sex toy manufacturers and stuff about them trying to make that market more like open or accessible for women because like especially with because there's a whole market too for and like different fuck what the, what the teledildonics is the like actual name of this field <laughs> and it's basically it smart, smart sex toys yeah and um trying to make like vr porn that also corresponds to vibrators so you can like download the scene and also download the file for your sex toy that will mimic exactly how it feels in the scene, whether that's like a flashlight or a dildo or whatever, it'll pulsate with the same frequency that the girl is like up on the dick. Unless there's latency and then that's going to suck. Yes. Yeah. The, see, the latency would be very confusing. I, I actually talked to them about this. I was like, how do you deal with the latency? They're like, well, it's an emerging technology. Like it's not really available yet. We are working on it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I know it is available for like cam girls where they'll have like the dildo on their end and the guy will have the flashlight on his end and they connect over Bluetooth. And so they can, as she's fucking, it's fucking him as well. Overseas sex. Really, really interesting stuff. The market for that. I mean, you have to be so dedicated to masturbating <laughs> to spend like the thousands of dollars for the equipment for that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I was just recommending uh, some sex toys for some friends recently. And all I could think about was, gosh, everything I want to recommend is not cheap. Yeah. So I keep recommending, okay, get the knockoff version. If you like that, upgrade to the real thing. I mean, it depends. I'm like always hesitant to like suggest knockoff versions depending on what it is too because the materials matter so much. And like, because, and you know this, Alice, too, is that like sex toys are often marketed as novelty products in the United States, which means that like they don't have to go through like the testing to see like what is actually in the plastic oh God, that no. you're putting in yourself, which is dangerous. So I do kind of recommend that people go brand name, but also like there are like so many good companies that do, but you're, you are going to shell out like for a really good like medical grade, like silicone, like dildo, like you're going to look at like 80 to a hundred dollars, but you'll have it for a really long time. You know, it'll be safe. It won't fuck with you. I mean, it's the same with the Hitachi. I'm on my second Hitachi right now, like of the real branded ones. And I mean, I accidentally left it on in my bed one time and the plastic casing kind of melted and is a little warped, but it still works fine bit of a fire hazard, but it works fine. I just make sure I unplug it when I get out of bed. I have melted a couple sex toys in my lifetime unintentionally, and it is really disappointing. To be fair, in this case, I didn't even do it. I had it in my bed. 
plugged in under the covers. Didn't really think about it because it usually lives there anyways because I'm single and I live by myself. So, you know, that's my little boyfriend that lives in my bed. And I think about it. My dog had jumped onto the bed and was like laying there because she likes to lay there in the afternoon. And I was running around my house, like cleaning, doing whatever. And all of a sudden I hear this and I smell burnt plastic. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I go into my room and I hear it louder and I pull the covers back and it is hot. Like the plastic handle has like warped. Like my bed is hot. I mean, if I had let it go, if I hadn't noticed it within like, I think 30 minutes, probably would have started a fire. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I got a sex toy once. That was an experience. Wait, did you say you had a sex toy once as if like, yes, this was one time in my lifetime I've ever had a sex toy. Yeah. So a girl I was dating at the time was going off to boot camp. So I figured I'd get a toy. I saw something special on Groupon and it was this robot thing that like you fit over it and it does everything. I was like, oh, cool. So I get it. It didn't fit. And so it's kind (laughs) of... Realized I just wasted 300 bucks. <laughs> I'm now really curious. What the fuck did you purchase? It was like you can suction cup it to anything and you put it about hip height or you just hold it and then you hit a button and it has a thing that goes inside of it that can spin, can go back and forth, goes up and down. So it can be like, you know, it can do all sorts of things. And they got so like a like, smart flashlight. Yeah, yeah. A smart flashlight. Yeah. It's got like, 10 different modes on it and shit. I've uh, applied for becoming a Groupon merchant before in the past, and they're not accepting new merchants, which is really annoying. But the standard, regardless, is really low in general. So going back to product safety and what testing a lot of products do when they import, the answer is very little to none. And uh, you can fake a lot of it. Fun fact. So, for example, like when I first started, uh, so, Will, I have a whole crayon line just for shits and giggles because that's the thing I have in my life. When I started researching what do I need to do to make this happen, there were certain things that I realized, oh, hey, if I buy a ton of crayon packs they have in the corner in like the smallest possible font, like they had these markings and I was like, what is this? You Google it and it's like, oh, you have to send your crayons to like this laboratory to be tested. Mm-hmm. Do they ever check if you do that? The answer is no. No, no. So can you fake compliance? The answer is yes. And will anyone check? The answer is no. And here's the kicker. A lot of places like Walmart, Walgreens, Kmart, CVS, you name the store, they will never check for compliance. They will never check regarding safety standards. So at the end of the day, you are responsible for whether or not the toy, product, whatever you're utilizing is safe or not. Because chances are, they definitely did not in procurement go through all of the compliance that needs to be done. I will say just really quick, in case anyone is listening and is in the market for sex toys and is wondering, and they don't sponsor the show, so this is just genuinely me saying I'm a big fan, but I love Tantus. Um, they're amazing. I also like know their owners and founders personally. They're incredibly nice people. They make a whole wide range of toys that are all medical-grade silicone. They're very safe to use. They're made in the U.S. They literally make them out of the same silicone that they use to like, do like heart valve transplants. <laughs> like It's super legit. They're awesome. They're like LGBTQ friendly. They're really cool people. So if you're looking for a good dildo, highly recommend Tantus Inc. 
But before, because as we're going through this and all this technology and stuff, because there's something we do need to talk to Will about uh, that I talked to Will about a couple of days ago, and that is his like newest venture that he is oh. like <laughs> riding this craze. Like he's up there with like Elon Musk and Joe Rogan, just riding it out. Like, uh, what are you doing with this, Will? Is it DMT? God damn it! What are you doing? No, but I I know a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> And why do you know a lot about that? Because also you have something that I am insanely jealous of. Like if I could pick one actual human superpower to have, it would be this one that you have. Please tell. Wait, what are you doing? Which one? Oh, my photographic memory. Oh, wait, you have that? Yeah, so I have a near photographic memory. Yeah. That's awesome. What the fuck? Okay, so wait a minute. I know Joe Rogan does not have a photographic memory. So what the fuck do you guys all have in common? I don't know. The only thing I think we have in common is that we both do jujitsu. Oh, I was saying cryptocurrency just because he talks oh, about it a lot in Elon. Yeah. Sorry, I just like lump all of that together. Maybe that wasn't the person to say. I'm not like big in the crypto community. Sorry, guys. Wait, I'm also into crypto. What are you doing nowadays? I study the ISO ecosystem. Oh, sweet. I'm thinking about launching my own shitcoin. I haven't just done it yet, but I'm thinking about it and I'm going to call it Bitcom. How do we feel about this? I like that. Regulations are going into effect here very soon, so I don't know how well a shitcoin is going to be actually do. I think they're trying to fight those. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know there were some new uh, regulations and a new infrastructure bill because, of course, they would shove new regulations regarding cryptocurrency and an infrastructure bill. That's totally normal. It needs it. Uh, true. I mean, there's so many scammers. Uh, for people not in crypto, just to give you an idea of how easy it is, you can essentially just pay a couple hundred bucks, start a shit coin, fake trading between wallets, and then launch it onto an actual platform so people can uh, start depositing money into your wallet. I mean, that's overly simplistic, but it is that easy. Mm -hmm. um, I was only thinking about doing it because Cumrocket, uh, and I say this because that is another shitcoin, it ended up getting some press just because it's called Cumrocket, and the token name for that is Cummies. I made some money off of it. Do I make good financial decisions? The answer is no. Did it pay off? The answer is yes, especially when Musk tweeted about it. So there was a reason I tied those things together. Okay. There's a reason I said like Elon Musk. That's how much I know. I don't even really know what the stock market is. Okay. We had a project for that in like seventh grade. And I, that's like one of the only projects I've ever totally failed because I refused to invest all of my money because I was like, this seems risky. I'd rather just hold on to it and put it in a bond account. <laughs> in crypto, you have gambling and then you have what's called investing. Gambling is when they don't solve a real world utility. They may or may not have a white letter. They don't have a website. They don't have a dev team. That's a gambling. I mean, it's also can be set up as a rug pull that happened with uh, Mark Cuban with Titan. Mm -hmm. uh, people think that influencers are the the experts in the crypto space. That's 100% incorrect. The real experts are the developers. I've, I've interviewed uh, a guy named Quincy Jones, who's a developer on the XRP, XDC, ISO ecosystem. And he had a lot of valuable information as far as like utility, what solves real world problems, what's going to survive regulations, all this kind of stuff. Again, I know nothing about this, but it's cool. I mean, just making moves all over the place. No, I, I think there is absolutely value in crypto. And especially when you have a number of destabilized markets you know, I think of a number of markets that have just absurd 
inflation rates nowadays. You know, something like crypto just makes sense to help stabilize. Well, I have a prediction. Mark my words on this prediction. So, like, if this comes true, you know, like, you heard it here. One of the predictions I made is that they were going to regulate cryptocurrency this year, even though the government came out and said they weren't going to touch it until next year. And the reason why I think that they want it regulated as soon as possible is because we have three different areas in the economy that are inflated. We get the housing crisis, the student loan crisis, and the dollars starting to be, just become beyond inflated. And any one of those pops, the stock market's going to take a hit. And anytime the stock market goes down, cryptocurrency goes up. Now, the problem is, is financial institutions can't put money into an unregulated space when regulations get put into place. You could put, they could end up putting money in places and then the regulations completely kill that and it makes their companies vulnerable. So they can't do that. They need a, a regulated space for their money. And so my prediction is, is that once the CBDCs are being done, developed by the central banks, that they're going to, the, the SEC versus Ripple or XRP case is going to end. And that will make XRP the only cryptocurrency that's ISO compliant with the banks and approved by the SEC which puts it as a legal space for institutional money to go. So these financial institutions and billionaires won't be losing their purchasing power when the stock market crashes. They won't be victim of it. They would actually be causing the stock market crash and maintaining or increasing their purchasing power by switching it over to crypto. And by doing that, causing the stock market crash, that would be the time where they quit pushing the inflation bubbles out and everything else. And then let it tank, because then you have to switch from the old technology over to blockchain technology, which opens the doors for that, which is why I believe that they're waiting until the CBDCs are built and developed before they actually pull the switch. And to further back up that theory, the top two economists um, in the world are talking about this next pandemic of cyber attacks. The way they talk about it, it's almost like they know who's creating it. I don't know. Let me put my tinfoil hat on. But how the fuck do you predict a pandemic of cyber attacks? But meanwhile, on the backside is when you're about to switch over from one technology to a new technology, you have to crash the old system first. So it's it's almost like that fits what's going on there. That's my prediction. So so I know and I, I feel like we are going to go eventually. And, you know, we're recording this, gosh, uh, in August where the housing moratorium is the eviction ban. Yeah, it, it's expiring. Yes. So I've been calling out for a while that. Eventually, we're going to go for another dip, you know, economically because of that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that, I mean, chances are this is going to be released in September, October. So who knows what's going to happen by that time? Do you feel like this is going to come into play before the market dips too much or when it dips after? Um, so the two timelines that I've tried to come up with, and I'm trying to use logic based on geopolitics in the in the political landscape is it's either going to happen this year, like by the end of this year or shortly thereafter. A lot of that depends on when the SEC XRP case is going to be up because a lot of that just seems like it's kind of superficially. It's a lawsuit, but it's not like it almost seems like a smokescreen. I feel like there's a lot of our listeners that don't understand what's going on with the XRP Ripple lawsuit. Including me. I haven't really understood anything we've been saying for the last like seven minutes. So it's OK. Let's catch him up onto it. OK, so. What XRP does is it solves a real-world utility. So um, it converts one item of value into another item of value. And so when we take this to a macro scale on the banking system, 
we'll just take it the full like complete maximum utilization of it. So there's five to six quadrillion dollars get that gets transferred on a daily basis between all the financial like Federal Reserve, uh, central banks, like the, the entire uh, financial ecosystem. Five to six quadrillion dollars gets transferred every day. But due to fees, exchanges, and stuff like that, from one fiat currency to another fiat currency, it can take time, costs money and fees, and all this kind of stuff. It adds up to a two to three trillion dollar problem that the financial system takes on. XRP comes in and it solves that problem instantly, but at the same time of solving that by three seconds transactions, it also provides the bank with more liquidity. So instead of a central bank having to hold on to 10 different fiat currencies, now they only have to hold on to one currency. And so now instead of not being able to loan out all their currency in one, because the bank, if they have $100, they can loan out 90 of that dollars. Well, if, if there's not enough loans in a specific fiat currency, it's unutilized liquidity that they have. So by utilizing it in XRP, they're able to have full liquidity of their entire cash range, increasing their operations. So it solves a really big problem and increases their business out there. And if we look what's going on inside Ripple as it's been developed since the SEC case started, the 43rd Treasurer of the United States became a board member for them. They've partnered with the Federal Reserve, the Bank of America, the vast majority of the central banks. An executive at uh, MasterCard quit her job to become a director for the European market with Ripple. You know, like you got these people that could have any job or career field in the space, and they're choosing to go with Ripple. And if you look at the partnerships and you actually start diving in there, then you realize what's going on. And then if you look at the case between the SEC versus uh, Ripple, it's almost kind of like a, a clown. Like the, the SEC is just like they're borderline either showing corruption. So the prior chairman that started the uh, lawsuit against XRP, his private firm that he came from, he received a, a severance package seven times his salary there. And then he said without any reasoning why that Bitcoin and Ethereum are not securities, but XRP is a security. And when that did that, that made it so XRP lost a lot of money. And then a lot of that money ended up going to Bitcoin and Ethereum. But there was no reasoning behind that. But his prior company had heavy holdings of both Bitcoin and Ethereum. So there's the possibility of corruption from the SEC from that. The government's come down and said that the SEC's lawsuits a stretch of logic you have internal conflict where other people in the sec are publicly stated that they don't agree with the current lawsuit so it's right now the sec's more or less has to save face in this situation and i don't think um ripple or xrp wants to settle because they can take them out and if and this the reason why this case is so important is this is like the roe versus wade case but this is for the financial market and crypto so if ripple ends up winning this case against the sec it severely limits the sec's ability to further sue other crypto companies inside the space because what the SEC was essentially doing is they're picking a project and they can go and sue them and say, well, you're selling unregistered securities. And if they can prove that, then they give them a big fines and stuff like that, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And it's worth asking, you know, how the government ends up treating XRP as both a currency and a security. And it paired that with the SEC's suggestions that BTC and Ethereum are not securities is pretty um, ridiculous. I think Bitcoin is, my personal opinion, I think it's the biggest scam. <laughs> and I think Ethereum is incredibly overrated. And when price catches up to utility, the entire market's going to shift. How so? Well, so Bitcoin's technology is complete garbage. It doesn't work as a currency and it's not scalable. Oh, it's definitely not scalable. For 10% of the world to adopt it, it would require over half the world's energy supply to maintain the network. 
not including tokenomics, just due to the loss and transacting with it, it's incredibly expensive just to spend it or trade it. There's too many reasons for it not to work and not to fail. And it's not as decentralized as people actually think due to the way that they do the mining with it. The bigger rigs that can handle more processing power ends up controlling the network. So you are inevitably left with a very few companies that run the entire network. And if adoption tends to increase and they start losing money due to energy costs, um, what's the incentive for them to keep the computers running? So if worst case scenario, it scales up too high and the people that are running the network are losing money, well, they kill the network and Bitcoin goes to zero in 20 minutes. And that's not to talk about manipulation from the Tether network where the Tether was a stable coin and then they printed out, they just fictitiously created a whole bunch of Tether and bought a bunch of Bitcoin and a bunch of Ethereum, hyper like super inflating those two currencies. And then when Tether needed to provide liquidity, they just sold the Bitcoin and Ethereum for profit. And that's how they ended up getting their liquidity. So this last market bump, because you remember like the market was down and then it just jumped back up. So a lot of people, a lot of the news articles were talking about like, well, it's because Amazon just came out and said that they're going to accept cryptocurrency as payment. And I was like, that has absolutely nothing to do with that money because the amount of money in space didn't change that drastically. But what ended up happening was, is the government came out and said that they're going to regulate Tether. And so everyone that had their money in Tether had to transfer out into another space because you don't want to have your money in a place that's could potentially lose a big lawsuit and then take your money or bankrupt themselves. So all that money ended up switching out, and that's what actually caused the market to raise back up in all the other coins. Historically, Bitcoin has kind of a pattern. And, you know, having studied the markets, it seemed like it was recently a dead cap bounce before it goes down to the 20s. Uh, you know, now that it's jumped up to the 40s, it wouldn't surprise me if it was between like 40, 45, and now it's already dipping. So, but that's good to know. I didn't realize the recent news with Tether. So if we're going to manipulate the market and if we're going to get rich, Will, where are we throwing our money? And is it my new cryptocurrency? I have yet to launch Bitcom. <laughs> First, what I would do is in order to figure out what you think, because I'll tell you what I think and what I've gone through my own research and everything. And the way that I came up with that is you want to understand or figure out what's going to be here 10 years from now. So if you look at the project and the team and, and, and the real world problem that it solves, will that survive regulation? Will it be here from 10 years from now? The threat of new entrants, who could come in and replace that? So for example, if you have a coin that is for a very niche market, let's just throw out coffee so you have a coffee coin that you can use at all the coffee stores you know what do you fucking do like a lot of cryptocurrencies are doing that but when we switch over to a digital basis the usdc coin is is shaping up to more look like the new digital dollar and then you've got the um xlm algorand and xdc those three can like we don't know where they're going on it but they have the technology behind it to actually behave and become like cash so if your cryptocurrency is for a niche market, well, those businesses in that market want to take whatever purchasing power or items of value. So if you build up this whole coin for that market and then, well, now that XLM becomes a new currency for like cash or USDC coin, they're going to accept that as well. So why should people buy a niche market coin when you can't go out and buy something else with it? You know, like you got to look at the threat of new entrants basically when you're doing the research. Yeah, you can use Polkadot at Starbucks. So Yeah, so there you go. I think that's a good analysis. So when you're doing your research, you got to figure out what do you think is going to survive. So for me personally, I started studying the ISO ecosystem. So being in the Marine Corps, when you work on any equipment or doing anything with the government or anything like that, you have to be ISO compliant. And the ISO ecosystem is ISO 20022. 
Um, that is the the banking ISO compliance, basically. And inside that ecosystem, you have XRP, XLM, XDC, uh, Algorand, and IOTA. But not a lot of people talk about IOTA. It's mostly just XLM, XDC, uh, XRP, and, and Algorand. So th- those four are the four main ones. The XRP behaves more like a an accounting tool for uh, big financial institutions. You got five to six quadrillion dollars that gets traded every single day. It's more for accounting. So one thing we know about XRP is in order for it to solve the problem that it's intended to do, it cannot be cheap. It's impossible for it to be cheap. And they might end up setting it so that only accredited investors could acquire it because they, depending on the scenario that plays out, they want to limit private sector investments because they don't it needs to be stable. It's for accounting. So it needs to be, for the most part, pretty pretty stable and it's got to be expensive. So if it gets to that point, they don't want the private sector to cause ups and downs because that can throw off the accounting on it. So either the accredited investor route is going to stop that from happening or the amount of money coming into that space is so high that the private sector would account for less than 1% and barely affect the price of it at all. So th- those are two different options of what could end up happening. And the way that it unfolds depends on how much of the financial systems jumps on board at once, and then whether it's a couple here and there, or if everyone does it at once, or if it's going to be a drawn-out process over the next five to 10 years. But either way, one, one of those is going to happen. Interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if the financial sector all comes on at board at once, or if it's going to just happen gradually over time. Well, with XRP, it's not going to be a slow climb. We're not going to see like the steady slow climb. And the reason being is, for it to solve its purpose, one central bank utilizing it doesn't solve the problem. All of the central banks have to use it. And if the network that's behind that, you have the Federal Reserve behind it, the IMF, the vast majority of the central banks. And I think it was like two months ago, the regulators for the central banks have were given the green light to flip on the switch to XRP when they feel the time is ready. So the technology is behind there, but what's holding it back right now is the central banks, not all of them are done developing their digital currency for their stuff. So they have to finish developing their uh, CBDCs. And all this inform- a lot of this information that I'm talking about is inside, like if you look up the guidebook for the ISO compliance within this uh, CBDC or the central bank digital currency, like you'll see it in there. It says in their guidebook that they can utilize XRP and XDC for their banking needs. So all, all the information's in there, but you're not going to see a whole lot of news articles about that. But I'm kind of like a super nerd with a photographic memory that reads everything. So <laughs> uh, I'm pretty heavy into XRP, and then I'm pretty heavy in XLM and XDC and Algorand. My personal investing philosophy, in case anyone is wondering, comes from Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec in that one episode where he's like, oh, yes, I recently invested in some shirts at a garage sale, left those at Wendy's. <laughs> the economy. Cage, we're going to go far. Thank you. I would be lying if I said I'd never left something I bought at a garage sale at a Wendy's. That hit scene really hit home for me. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm fairly shocked that you have a photographic memory considering how exceptionally rare that is. When has that ever been useful in your life except all the time? Yeah, literally every single day that would be useful for me. Well, so I actually had type 2 bipolar, and it was so bad that I only had one week's of memory a year for three years. And so like once a year, it's like I would wake up and not know anything about that prior year. And so the first time that happened, I found these uh, nootropic for the brain. And so I started taking this nootropic, felt emotions for the first time, which was fucking weird. And I was angry, so I quit taking them. Went back into hypomania for another like 
10, 11 months, came back out of it due to a knee surgery. And should I check myself into the VA mental health? Cause I was like, yo, my brain ain't fucking working. Like the fuck. And, uh, they forgot to follow up. So went back into hypomania. I'm shocked that the government's public services for veterans is not up to par, but continue. Fancy them apples, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so then the third year had another knee surgery and it brought me out of hypomania. And then I was like, all right, I got to fix my brain. So I took the nootropics, figured out what emotions were for and let them all play out. And then, um, started studying everything I could find about bipolar. And I read almost every blog and more importantly, almost every comment from people that commented on all the blogs. And I found the common denominator was high fat. So that led me in the direction. So what I did is I cut out anything that was a, a vasoconstrictor in my diet. So I cut out um, nicotine. Oh, I didn't take nicotine, but I ended up developing a program and help people for a year cure their uh, type one and type two bipolar and extreme anxiety and depression. And I had a hundred percent success rate with it. So ended up doing that. And then, uh, I noticed that you needed a high fat diet. And so you had to get rid of any vasoconstrictor. So yeah, so no sugar because sugar is really bad for the brain. Too much caffeine is a vasoconstrictor and nicotine is a vasoconstrictor. You wanted to maximize blood flow to the brain because your body only absorbs 5% of the omega threes that you consume unless that actually gets to the brain. So you kind of need lipids to help break that down and you need high quality fish oil. So did all that, cleaned the diet up, made sure I was eating high fats. And then I remember there was a, so I'm, I love physics. Like I've studied physics since I was a little kid. And uh, I love physics too. Wait a minute. I am a physics major, but continue. Talk dirty to me. And well, there was this um, doctor that was giving a speech at a physics conference. Kind of caught me off guard because I was like, it, it's not even the same field. So I was very intrigued by this one. And he talked about everything from bioelectricity in the body, the voltage, how the voltage affects um, the bioelectric side of the body and everything like that. And he talked about maintenance levels of certain uh, vitamins. And he talked about treatment levels of certain vitamins and nutrients and how the treatment levels have a different effect on the body than taking your daily amounts. And so I remembered that. And so what I ended up doing is tripling the daily dose of a high quality fish oils, eating a high fat diet. And taking the it was a product called Qmax, and it was just a brain nootropic that gave it all of the nutrients the brain needs. I did that for three months, felt my brain heal. I mean, I tested it for how long? And when I was trying to test the the values in order to get my brain to heal, I would quit cold turkey and see how long I could go before symptoms would come back. And it would usually last about two and a half weeks. And then that's when I decided to triple the dosage instead of doing the daily dosages. So I tripled the dosages and did that. And when I quit cold turkey after three months, I waited and symptoms never came back. And so after that, someone very close to me ended up, uh, I, was, I was sharing with her like um, uh, my experience turns out she was a type one bipolar. And so I did the same thing with her. She made hundred percent recovery. Then someone referred to like, I was telling some of my Marine buddies about that. And because they, my voice changed, the types of food that I liked changed. Everything kind of changed. My, my personality changed when my brain started working. People started referring people to me. So I put them on the program and ended up just doing this thing for free for a year, just helping people. And I made a whole bunch of like interesting, like I call them discoveries, but every person that was a type two bipolar has an overdeveloped frontal lobe. And I don't know if that it's genetic based, like they're just highly intelligent because of that gene, or if it's because the emotional campus doesn't work. So the frontal lobe is overcompensating for mine. I have a near photographic memory after I fixed my brain. And then I have this weird way of understanding how things work. For example, let's take uh, jujitsu. I'm one of the most technical jujitsu fighters and I went professional in 10 and a half months and submitted my first world champion, my first year in the sport. And my brain has a way of just, taking everything together and putting it together in a way that makes sense. 
one lady that uh, ended up putting her through the program, she can take an abused horse and re-break that horse back in so they don't have to put the horse down. And uh, most horse trainers, if, the, if a horse is abused, like you can't do anything with the horse, so they end up putting the horse down. But she's able to re-break that horse down because she understands how the horse's brain processes information. Another one, he was a he was a Navy pilot, got kicked out for a bipolar episode. He got referred to me, and then now he's a civil engineer, and he's one of the few people in the world that can look at a schematic and see the spots that are wrong with the schematic. He says that they light up, and he doesn't understand it, but it's like they light out, and he can't stop looking at them because they don't make make sense. So every every person has like this unique, high functioning brain power throughout everything on it. It's very interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it is fascinating. I know that, um, and I have read about how frontal lobe dysfunction has been implicated as one of the pathopsychological basis of bipolar disorder. I've never personally studied it all, by the way, for our audience. This is anecdotal there. You know, we don't have empirical data, but we also don't have empirical data on a lot of nutritional studies just because it is so hard to garner that data. I mean, it's not like you could put people in a room and tell them, eat this for 30 years and, you know, we'll control you. Well, I, t- I took that information and I tried taking it to um, psychiatrists and stuff to try and like, you know, like, hey, this has worked for me. This has worked for literally about 100 people. But when they think that, oh, you had bipolar, I was like, well, we need to get you on lithium. And it, like, literally all they were trying to do is pitch me taking lithium and they tried talking about all their studies. And so I just counter argued their studies with like, well, you not once mentioned gray matter disease that comes from taking too much lithium. They're going by the best available evidence and data they have. And the problem is when it comes to diet, when it comes to how it can affect how we treat certain, I don't want to say disorders because not necessarily everything is a disorder. It's a deficiency of healthy fats. It's a deficiency of omega-3s. Exactly. Like, we don't know exactly how everything functions. I mean, that's what it comes down to even studies. You know, some of the things that we come down to is whether or not, you know, this comes from uh, anecdotes of whether or not does this work or not. That's how we know of, hey, you know, I feel like shit. I took an M&M and it made me feel better. Is it because you just got an M&M or is it because it just actually made you feel better? You know, that's how we got into things like... When you get someone that has a full-blown-out schizophrenia that three months later has a fully functioning brain and is a completely night-and-day different person, the voice is different, the influx and everything's different... That speaks for itself. Like, you can't fake that, and you can't have someone that has schizophrenia. You can't get someone like that to fake that. I agree with you. It's just every person is different. So I just, I don't want people listening to this and thinking it's medical advice. <laughs> because this is definitely not a medical show. Um, this is an entertainment podcast. It's all, it's food. All it is, it's food. Exactly. It's fascinating to me. It's food. People can try it. If it works for them, it works for them. And if it doesn't work for them, then, you know, there are other things out there. But I I think it's fascinating that you were able to do that through foods and through studying your diet of what works and what doesn't work. And you've been able to replicate that in others because that's not something I've ever really heard of people being able to do successfully. A lot of the times whenever I hear people do it, it's just frankly, you you hear it on a mass scale of, I don't want to say that it's the equivalent of like psychics where, you know, you only hear the data that comes back to you and those are the positive. But it's interesting that you've worked one-on-one with people and it's been successful. I've had over a hundred cases and I had one case where the treatment didn't work 
And what they found out was CBD was actually solved the problem. In hindsight, after doing that and after talking with them, they didn't have type 1, type 2 bipolar. They had extreme anxiety and extreme depression, but for other reasons. Interesting. Yeah, so what I'm saying is we need to throw more money at this so we can figure this out. And, I mean, if this is highly treatable, that'd be wonderful. So, especially if it could be done through a diet. The hardest part is people can't drink caffeine or take nicotine or consume sugar. I'm out, y'all. And that's the hardest part. Oh, that's very hard. Sorry, guys. But three months to completely heal your brain and change your life, like, I would say it's worth it. And especially to do that, a three-month commitment towards diet, most people can't do it within three weeks. Mm -hmm. I can't do it for one week. I keep buying groceries and then I like get too lazy to make them. I'm trying. I've limited myself to one Postmates meal a week, everyone. This is like a big deal for me, okay? The people that got referred to me, they were on death's door. Like they were the type of person that was, if I can't control my life, then I'm not going to live it type. And so it was either do it or die. And I respect that because I was in that same place. I walked those same shoes. And fortunately, it worked out for the better. And the brain ended up healing and lived a very eventful life. <laughs> so I can't yeah. get the only thing I can try to do is help other people in the, in the same situation. The path's been walked, so we just got to help everybody else find it. Well, we're glad it worked for you, and I'm glad that you're here to help others and, uh, you know, share what you've learned so far. But, Will, where can our listeners find more of you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and by more of you, I mean more of you. <laughs> um, willpounder.com or iwillpounder.com, either one of those. Amazing. Kate, where can our listeners find more of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the OG Kennedy. That's the as in the OG as an original gangster Kennedy, like the dead president. You can find me on Instagram at the PG, like the movie rating Kennedy. It's the same thing, but it's the movie rating because it's safe for work. So don't fucking come into my DMs and offer me $20,000 to hang out with you this weekend just because you're visiting from Ottawa. That's a specific reference to someone that messaged me this morning. That's really specific. I know. And also who in Ottawa has $20,000 to waste hanging out with me? That's like a huge ripoff. Someone who's choosing not to live in Vancouver? Apparently. No shade on Ottawa. I like Beaver Tails and the St. Lawrence River. Fucking dope. Parliament, what's up? If you want to join my OnlyFans, you can go to theogkennedy.com. If you care about my writing, I am trying this month my goal is to put out one new essay each week at semiprocockjockey.com awesome guys you could find the show at all places at tgm podcast uh but you can find the show at twogirlsonmike.com of course tell your friends about it join us on patreon patreon.com slash twogirlsonmike uh where you could find a full video episode of this as well as uh hang out with us or get a free mug by the way, you can find me, Alice, over at Rational Blonde on Twitter. And of course, leave us a comment, review, tell your friends, family, uh, tell the most famous person you know about this show. That's going to be really awkward if one day someone really famous contacts us and we have no idea who they are. It's going to be like the guy who played Steve from Blues could lose. You know what's going to happen. Oh my God, I would love to have him on the show. Also, side note, I made an entire fool of myself in front of Leslie Jones the other night. Like, very embarrassing. 
wait, what happened? Okay, well, I'm really bad at like recognizing celebrities in person. They always look so different to me. And I was sitting at the comedy store with my friend at the door um, on Saturday night and we were just like hanging out, chilling and she was there. And like also Leslie Jones is like a pretty like distinctive celebrity. Like not a lot of people look like her. She's very tall. She has the hair and she was there. And I was like, are you, I was like, I was so sorry. Are you Leslie? Cause I'm a big fan. Um, of her on SNL and everything. And I was like, are you, are you Leslie Jones? And she kind of looked at me like, how the fuck do you not know that? And I was like, not that she didn't say that, but I saw it in her face. And I was like, that's so cool for you. Awesome. Um, and then she started like walking away with this one. I was like, I'm a big fan. And then my friend was like, you are the biggest loser. And I was like, I know, I'm so sorry. I tweeted afterwards and then replayed the conversation in my head like 40 times on Sunday morning. So... Doing great. Um, also, Jason Sudeikis, if you're listening to this, loving the new season of Ted Lasso and you look like a fucking dime in a ten piece or a three-piece wool suit, just saying. We've all done that to at least one celebrity. I mean, I did it to Whitney Cummings uh, in a bathroom at the comedy store. She was there too. She didn't say hi to me, which is fine. I'm no one. It's okay. Well, because you didn't attack her in the bathroom. One of my friends said this really well, whose like brother is a famous celebrity. And I, I, this has always stuck with me is that when you meet famous people in person, um, they're always shorter than you think they are. And their heads are always bigger. And that's like physical, like their head is bigger than you think it is. And that's absolutely true. I'm going to think about that for a while. Think about it. But when you think about examples, it's totally true. You have to have a you know, good sized face to be on TV, man. Camera distorts your image. Small body, large head. Yeah, pretty much. They all look like weeble wobbles. Everyone's a bobblehead? Tito Ortiz looks like a bobblehead. Yeah, see? Now there's a hypothesis we can prove. All right. So uh, write in if you think your favorite celebrity doesn't look like a bobblehead. Info at twogirlsonmike.com. If you are a celebrity with a bobblehead, uh, just send it to us. We'll compare. We would love to have you on the show, Pat and Oswald. (gasps) Stop. I was actually supposed to have Matt, his brother, on the show at one point, but he only wanted to record in person. All right, guys, you could catch us again here next week. Make sure to like and subscribe. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.